What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Five Rings Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramay on the Sports Podcasting Network. Follow us and listen to us live on Twitter at Five Rings Podcast and like our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Sports Podcasting Network for more content. Good day, good night. Welcome to the Five Rings Podcast. This is day one. First full day of the Olympics is over, but Dwayne, the reals, the real OGs out there, they know that this is actually day three. Because even though you want to try to confuse us, day minus two and day minus one are actually days in the calendar now in the Olympic ceremonies and Olympic calendar. So this is not day one. This is day three, day four, whatever you wanted. But Dwayne, how are you today? I'm doing well, yeah. When you have to have three screens up at one point during a pre uh, pre uh, opening ceremony day, it, it's a day. <laughs> it's even a if day. there's no medals uh, awarded, there have been medals awarded now though, so that's how they define it. So we'll we'll go with their official recognition. But yeah, we'll day one day one in the books, big day, a lot of lot of stuff. Uh, that, that, let's talk about it. We'll get to our wood, the bronze, silver, gold, and poutine medal in just a few minutes. But uh, let's start by just talking about what we've experienced in the first few days. If you don't know, Dwayne and I are located in Canada. We are in the Eastern Time Zone. Another recording of this show, Saturday morning. Still some events going on. But we're enjoying watching as we record this show. The end of the Canada-USA curling mixed double game. It's fun game. Canada-USA, it's a rivalry that's been going on in multiple sports lately. It's fun to see it in the curling, too. I know uh, on the men's side, if I'm not mistaken, last Olympic did not go Canada's way. Hopefully this time it will. On the double side, we'll talk about it tomorrow. But Dwayne, over the last 24 hours, the first full day of competition, what has caught your attention in Beijing? A, a couple things, a lot of things. I think the, we're both going to talk a little bit about the weather, and that's going to very Canadian of us in, in one way, but I think when you're talking about winter games, we've talked about the winter, the weather a lot over over the all the games that we've we've uh, had podcasts about, but not in a good way. And I think that maybe there is some positives now because as much as we sort of criticized the awarding of the games to Beijing because it's not the most winterly place, they don't get a lot of snow there. Um, you know, the Chinese have figured this out, which is not surprising. They figure stuff out. Uh, <laughs> they have the resources. The yeah, yeah, I'll let you talk about the the temperatures in that in a minute, but I want to talk about the snow. And the snow has been a topic of conversations in a lot of events because it's it's man-made. And 
where Kevin and I live, uh, we're used to, I, like I learned to ski on basically man-made snow too. And I think Quebec's a lot the same way, right? Because we don't get a lot of stains. No, we get a lot of sort of comes and yeah. goes and it comes and goes. And it so comes later, use, right? It comes in like December and, November, and December and January and ski heels are like, well, we have to make money in November. So uh, where are the ice machines? Yeah, exactly. So they, they make snow and, and when you make snow, it's very dry which means it runs a little differently than the powdery stuff that you get on the mountains. So if you're not from a mountain place uh, or so you, you know, you're from a, a place where they have to do that as well, or you learn in an indoor facility, which a lot of the Asian countries do, that might give you a bit of an advantage of this. But one thing it does really give you an advantage is because they, they can guarantee it's going to be there. And a lot of the Olympics, we know this, especially Vancouver. We didn't talk on the show about that, but Vancouver <laughs> was a mess for that. Oh, yeah. Trying to... They had to shovel snow from the mountains. Like, they literally had to travel snow. <laughs> it's not easy. That's not going to happen here. That's that's not going to be a thing that we're going to be talking about in in these games. So, so that's a positive, I think. Uh, you know, it, it may be... I'll create some slower times in the cross country and things, but it's not a, a, a sport that matters for the time. It's a, it's a race sport, right? So it doesn't exactly. really matter. Like, honestly, if it, even if a few world records don't fall, but it's the same for all the competitors, I guess the competition itself is not really hindered. Yeah. And, you know, just further to this, the, the ice actually too, if we wanted to continue to this, another thing that caught my eye was the ice temperature, um, at uh, the speed skating, the the big track speed skating, long track, they don't call it big track, a long track speed skating uh, venue. The the ice is very fast, and, and the 3,000-meter women's went off today as the first event in that. And uh, it was causing some havoc strategically for the, the athletes because they were going out a little too quick because, you know, first event they're all geared up for it. They're not used to it yet. But I think when we get when we get to the sprint events, we're going to see some real fast times in there. So, so don't worry. You're going to see some world-class stuff. Uh, might not just be outside. That's all. No, exactly. Some of them will be inside. And I do agree with you with the weather because if there's one thing that I liked, and maybe that was extreme, but watching the women's slope style last night in the qualifying round and seeing all the riders being cold, I was like, well, it's the winter games. It's, it's not called like the, the, the kind of like winter. No, it's the winter games. It was minus 20. Get dressed <laughs> and you get ready till you go for your run. And that's where Canadian athletes have not necessarily an advantage, but they're used to it. It's, it's minus 20. Minus 20 is a winter temperature. It's called the Winter Games. I liked it. There, there you go. Well, yeah, the very first games we covered were in Sochi, which if you don't know Russian there geography, was a sea. Sochi, yeah, it, it's literally a resort town. <laughs> like, the fact that it was there is absurd. <laughs> like, no snow to be found during the ceremony, which was very similar to Beijing, by the way, because Beijing, you had shots of Beijing, no snow to be found. But where the competitions are, there's snow, and that's all that matters. Exactly. So, yeah, it is the Winter Games, uh, which, you know, is a bit ironic because we didn't expect it necessarily, but they are getting a cold snap there. And we just checked the temperature in Beijing proper, which isn't even the mountain. And it was still like minus six right now. It's in the middle of night right now. But nonetheless, it's still pretty cold there. And that's, that's a good thing. Most of our listeners are located in Canada and the USA. If you are located somewhere else, let us know. I'm always really happy to learn where our listeners are for the Fabric Podcast because we had some... India, we had Australia, which are not that exotic, which they are, but there's a lot of places too that it's fun to watch. Liechtenstein too, which I was happy to see the Liechtenstein delegation of a, of a, a person that came into the stadium the other day. That was fun to watch. So let's go into it, Dwayne. But first, I want to give a little update on curling because of our Canadian and USA fans. It's not 4 2 Canada in. The sixth end, the end of the sixth end. So uh, we'll keep you updated before we say goodbye for today. 
Yeah, and that was a steal that the U.S. did, or sort of Canada just stole one off the off of uh, the U.S. And if you don't know your curling, that's a bad thing. Exactly, uh, it's a bad thing for uh, for for the states. Yeah, you you want to force it. Well, I'll, we'll talk about curling a lot more in the days ahead. But you you know, quick strategic TLDR is you want to force your opponent to take one when they have the hammer, meaning the last rock. And if you can do even one better, and that's to to steal then it's a great thing. And what happened there was that um, the American uh, player uh, hit the guard and sort of went through the rings, and that was not yeah. an ideal situation for them. And they, they have dropped to their point, and Canada will now have an advantage coming home. So there exactly. you go. That's your update or your live update. Your live update. If you're watching us not live, it's okay. By the end of the show, you'll know who won. Yeah, that if you're match. watching us live, like where they, I'm called police because you're looking through my window right now. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> we're not live, so that's why. That's why. All right, yeah. let's dive into it. This is the first official medals of the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games. If you're brand new to the Five Weeks Podcast, we have five medals, two proprietary edition of a medal, which is called the Wood Medal for our worst or our least favorite moment of the day. We also have the Poutine Medal, which is given to our favorite Kenyan moment performance of the day also let's start with the negative because it's always better to start this way because the rest of it goes more smoothly wood metal for day one Dwayne uh, speaking of irony of irony uh, I'm going to give a wood medal to the very first gold medalist of uh, these games Kevin and that seems completely not what you'd expect thus the irony comment uh, her name is uh, Teresa Johong uh, she is a uh, cross-country skier, won the uh, gold medal this morning in the uh, the, the Mass Start uh, 7.5K uh, in the cross-country venue, which is a very technical, very hilly venue. If you haven't seen it yet, it's going to be a very big challenge for these athletes. But the reason that I'm giving her a wood medal for this case is because Mr. Hong uh, had served a drug suspension in 2018 and therefore had not been in there. Now, yes, you serve your time, you do your time, and, and you go on and you go forward, but I'm Sorry, I'm not going to be able to celebrate someone who has that little asterisk. You know, if you have a, a, a doping a section to your Wikipedia page, we're going to have uh, we're going to mention it, and I want to make sure we're mentioning it. Now that said, her performance was outstanding, and as Icarus taught us, the first half of Icarus is as interesting as the second. It's just not as spy drama. Yeah. Uh, what the first half of Icarus tells us is you still have to be damn talented to do. <laughs> what they do even doped i don't think i could win anything like you put some you put some uh, epo into me i ain't running a 10 meter 10 meter uh, 10 second 100 meter i ain't yeah. skating around at 400 meters in under a minute but you know it's not about us but that's a wooden medal to start the show a former drug cheat who wins a gold medal the, the thing yeah. is is hopefully this time it's clean which yeah, we can say that because there was a suspension. There was a conviction. So hopefully this time it's done with proper nutrients. Yes, nutrients. She, sorry, she claimed it was an ointment. They always claim. Sure, they always claim it's an ointment. And all ointment companies always claim that it's not them too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hilarious now. It's like, no, I, I didn't take this. I, I put something on my skin. Okay, well, I mean, it, it, and, and God help the poor athlete that it actually does put something on their skin because it's the boy who cried wolf this time, right? Well, yeah, and you have to blame Lance Armstrong for that because he started that in 2004. Like, no, no, it wasn't. It was a steroid cream. Since when did they put steroid in creams? And since then, I learned that actually quite often, but, you know, still. Yes, and it was, in fact, a steroid uh, derivative that, that, that she was caught with. So there you go. And uh, look, yeah, it, it's unfortunate, and, and 
you know, the second place finisher in that race was Russian too. So there you go. Or rock, I should say it's, it's, it's always going to hang over. It's an unfortunate situation. We owe it to ourselves as lovers of the Olympic games to, to talk about doping openly and often whenever it's possible. And I think whenever an athlete has, has a history of it in the past, it needs to be mentioned because it is part of their story. I, I agree. And we have to keep an eye on these results too, because what if in four days from now we hear, well, a positive test coming from the Beijing laboratory. That'll be interesting too, to see if we actually have positive tests in the Beijing Olympic Games. Because do you think there's no drug cheats at all at the Olympic Games right now? Well, that's, I said that, we've said that a couple times during games where we're doing it. If you get five, six games into a games and you haven't heard anything from, from the lab, uh, I start to have questions, and that certainly was the case in Russia, where there was nothing. Nothing was coming out. No one was getting hit with it. And now we know why. Yeah, and I, mean, I think that's part of the, part of it is the like not just the Russians were getting away with it, like other athletes that were trying to get away with it, and unaware that there was cheating things going on, and they just don't think that the lab was operating. Basically, what was what was going on? The lab was like, well, if we start declaring drug cheats for every other country except us, doesn't look good because they know. So let's just. Everybody's clean. Everybody's clean. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate. And, you know, we, we, we did a whole extra special show on Icarus. If you want to go back in our archives and maybe, Kevin, when you have more time this week, maybe we can put that out on the feed yeah. because I think it's a worthwhile show to listen to. But, yeah, it, doping is part of, of sport. It's not a good part of sport, but it's a part of sport. And you've got to look at things you love in both positive and negative ways. Let's go with a positive right now. It's time to give a medal full of fries, cheese curds, and gravy. It is time for the poutine medal. And Dwayne, let's start with your poutine medal for day one. I'm going to do an idea or a concept or a thing or a program in this particular case because what I wanted to highlight was a bit of a trivia situation that happened last night when Canada got its first medal in these games. So I am giving my poutine medal to the Own the Podium program. If you're unfamiliar with what Own the Podium is, and, or, which probably means you're outside of Canada, but if, if not, a quick uh, summary of it is it's basically how we fund our athletes in this country. And it's a situation that was put into place in the lead up to the Vancouver Olympics. Now, prior to the Vancouver Olympics, Canada was mediocre for the for about a decade before that and pretty awful prior to that in, in terms of performance and based on the size of the country. Um, in fact, they had had won 120 medals over 20 Winter Olympic Games prior to the Vancouver Winter Olympics. They had famously at that time never won a gold medal on home soil, despite having hosted a Games, which was the only the second time that had ever happened. The first time it had happened was the Summer Games in 1976, which was also involving Canada. So needless to say, that was a bit of a, an embarrassment, and they tried to stop that. So this program was put in place to, to not just fund the athletes literally by giving them money to eat and train and do all that stuff they need to do, but also to help them with the science and their coaching and all that good stuff. To say it worked is an understatement. Canada has gone from being, as I said, at best mediocre, at worst horrific at the Olympic Games to being at the Winter Games a power, at the Summer Games a mid-major to use a, your college basketball analogy. I know you like that one. Hey, mid-majors are pretty good, okay? Mid-majors are good. Yeah. Exactly. A mid-major is kind of fun. It's fun to support a mid-major because it's, you know, it's a bit surprising still. It doesn't get uh, boring for you. Anyway, this, they had 120 medals uh, during the, those 20 Olympics before that. In the three and one day since, they've won 80 more to win their 200th medal all time. I think they're only the fourth country all time to go over 200 medals. 
on the winter side. That's a remarkable accomplishment. They are a winter power now, and it's because of that program and, of course, the athletes that have seen it through. Yeah, and uh, it's funny you mentioned the Putin medal because that's my Putin medal is not necessarily the same as you mentioned, but it is Lauren Wiedemann who won a bronze medal in long track speed skating. We should just call it speed skating, by the way. Short track is the one that's labeled. It's like, do you call it hockey or do you call it ice hockey? Depends. You think field oh, hockey? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> that's the, See, I know it's the other way around the rest of the world. But anyway. I know, I know. Trust me. But uh, <laughs> you know, if you ask someone to bring you a hockey stick, what do you think they're going to bring you? You think they're going to bring you a small, <laughs> a short stick? No, no, they're going to bring you a big stick. So that's hockey, okay? That's, that's how I that's how I determine I'm, it. I'm looking at one right now. Exactly. So it's not a high hockey stick. It's a hockey stick, okay? You think Casey Jones of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle had a field hockey stick to beat all the foot climb? No, no. He had a real hockey stick. Speaking of, uh, Lauren Wiedemann, a uh, bronze medal for Canada, speed skating, first medal of the game, is my poutine medal for this day it was a good skate too and i love speed skating the long track it's one of my favorite events at the winter games for a lot of reasons and uh i might might talk about that event a little later on in my medals as well oh, but there we go i love it too Dwayne. and i have to say it's a, the, the grace that speed skating has because of the length of the ring and how you carry speed on the ice it's not about brisk movement it's about fluidity liquidity and flow it's beautiful to see on the ice yeah exactly and and in this particular case uh, she's a marathon skater she was a marathon skater before she kind of down, went down you don't think it was 3,000 meters going down but that's what's happening in this particular case so it was she built into the race which is the the always fun when you're seeing the times get a little bit faster and a little bit faster and then they hit that second run you know it's still in the red when they hit the second the, the bell goes off and then they go around and you see it getting quicker and quicker the pace and then they cross the line with the green it's always the most exciting thing the green meaning that they're leading the race at the time um the pair that went after both beat her but it w- was a great skate by uh and she was clearly tickled pink you know like when some people win the bronze they're kind of like eh, or they shrug their shoulders or they're disappointed but no this was one of those very excited they won the bronze kind of kind of situations. The famous surprise bronze, if you want to listen to the podcast before, the surprise bronze, the one you're not expecting, is always more fun than the expected gold even, because the expected gold come with a weight of pressure, expectations. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about other medals. Exactly. Oh, yeah. The surprise gold is the best one ever, too. The, the well, best. surprise gold, yes, but it doesn't happen quite as often. Yeah. The, the, I was thinking of the Aussie. Uh, oh, I forget his name off the top. The Aussie short track skating. Everyone knows that story. We've told it on here before. The Aussie that somehow won by just getting around the ice and short track every time. You don't see that the anymore. The rest fell. Because, yeah, because <laughs> he's like, he's fourth. And he's like, I got no shot. I'm just going to continue. And then the first three fell. Like, wait a minute. Wait a damn minute. I got gold medal. <laughs> I forget his name off the top of my head because I wasn't planning to talk about him today, but just just Google like Australian short track, hilarious gold medal or something, and you will find it. It is classic. <laughs> it is brilliant because he was, if you quickly, the story, I'll set it up a little bit more before you do your Googling. He was well known on the circuit. He's an Aussie. He was an athletic guy, but not a, necessarily a world-class athlete. This is in the early days of the sport. He was just a fun guy in the tour. So in the Olympics, short track is not as professional as it is now. There were much more falls back then. He just somehow got the gold medal by managing to stay on his feet while everything chaotic was happening in front of him. And when he 
crossed the line to win the gold medal. His reaction is priceless. Everyone else went, kind of shrugged his shoulders and went, well, that's short track. I'm glad he won it because he's a good guy. So it, it's a fun story. Go go Google that later. I'll, I'll find exactly. his name for, for maybe later on in the week and we'll remind you. Those were a Putin medal for day number one, which means we're in the thick of it. It's time for the bronze, silver, and gold medal for day number one. But right after this short break. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What is round, made of metal, shiny, and gathers all our attention for the next two weeks in February? Well, that's the Olympic gold medals. And for today, we have three each to talk to you about a bronze, silver, gold medal for day number one of the Beijing 2022 Olympic Games. Dwayne, let's start with the bronze medal for you for day one. I'm going to go to the curling event from, from very early in the evening, and, and I want to particularly lay uh, highlights to the, to the Swedish team, which is uh, currently has five wins and is in a playoff spot. If you don't know the format, the top four teams will advance to a, a basic semifinal final third place game uh, sort of bracket that they will go into after this. And, and they have played the most games of everyone else. The, the Most teams are either at five or six. They've gone to seven, but they're at five and two, so they're sitting pretty pretty to go in. Uh, the name of the pair is uh, Almeida Deval and Oscar Erickson. Oscar Erickson is also on the on the men's team that will compete in the fours events later. And and as I said, they've been they've been curling very well. And, and in particular, the game today against Canada, uh, which the Canadians, you know, John Morris is defending gold medalist in this. The you know, Rachel Holman is a world champion. Like it's a, it's a damn good team. It's a dream team, right? And they completely curled them out of the rank in what was an incredible performance. If you know the sport, you know how well they performed that day. Uh, they both curled over 90% in doubles. It is rare to hit more than 70% uh, for both players. They hit over 90 in the game. They couldn't have 
done better had they walked down and placed the rock in the spot that they wanted to put at each shot, right? Like it was one of those games, Canada couldn't do anything because they were just being up against a machine that night. And I wanted to highlight them for that. So that, so that's my bronze medal, the Swedish mixed doubles team. Uh, that's uh, once again, Almeida, uh, Devel and Oscar Eriksson. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, but you know, when you, uh, it's just so overwhelming for me in day one way. There's so many beautiful moments, so many beautiful medals, so many beautiful things that I I I don't know what to choose. It always takes me a few days to get into a rhythm. Okay, what is my threshold of what do I want? What do I choose? What is good enough for bronze? And then I'm like, oh, this is good enough for bronze. And about three times over the last few hours, I've changed my bronze to my gold, to my gold, to my silver, to my bronze, to my wood. Oh, let's put this in the metal. <laughs> yeah. It's starting again. Fair enough. Yeah, when it comes to uh, to placement, um, I always have trouble placing the gold, Kevin. Me uh, too. Me too. Exactly the same. Yeah, the bronze because I don't necessarily view the bronze and silver as being completely performance based, and that's a little bit of behind the curtains for this. It's it can also be a story, uh, whereas the gold I kind of want to be the most important thing of the day. Exactly. But sometimes when I start to put my things down, I'm like, oh, this was great. And you put this in gold. I'm like, wait, something else happened. Oh, wait, something better happened. To me, my bronze moment, it's not even a moment. It's a competition itself. It's the layout, the look, the detail. And I have to say the art, the artistry even of this course. I'm talking about the slow style course. It was used last night for the woman in the snowboard. And it's a very impressive with the size the scale of the jumps but also the details and the ornamentation of the jumps and i say this word carefully chosen ornamentation because those were artists who decided to build uh, you could just build a jump but you know the jump's going to be seen on tv you might as well look like a castle so they started to build the side of it like a castle it's beautiful i've never seen it's the second year. We have second Olympics. We have a slope style competition. It was all right in Pyeongchang. It looked good, but it didn't look this good. This was surprising to me. I did not accept to be mesmerized like this. I was watching that competition. And when you have those big shots from far away, big crane shots or drone shots, and you see the tiny speck, the tiny dark speck of a person, but it looks like a white uh, black dot on a white board. Just go jump and you see the scale. It's beautiful. It's massive. And the artistry in the decoration and ornamentation of the course makes for beautiful television. It is It is very impressive, too. The, the sport is impressive. Slope style is, there's a reason that it is scheduled to be primetime NBC American broadcaster on the first weekend of the Olympics because it is the most amazing looking sport to see on TV. It was made for it. It is absolutely jaw-dropping when you watch it for the first time if you haven't seen it yet please do check it out before before you uh go any longer in your life without being exposed to what is a completely amazing and incredible sport but you're right right in terms of the design to the castle um which kind of is it, it uh, harkens a little bit to the to the great wall i think too kind of the for sure, for sure, stone yeah. design of it. It, it it looks similar to that i think that's probably where they were going with that uh, so, yeah, it's quite beautiful and it speaks to it. And, and look, it reminds me a bit of an equestrian course you'd see in the summer games where it would also sort of have elements of the host nation part of it. And that kind of is a nice little piece of color that 
that uh, you know they're able to add there, and and that that makes it's good to have what games you mentioned this other other day in the show, and I'm looking in the background. There's an event wrapping up now, which we'll talk about tomorrow. I won't spoil yeah. it for you. Yeah, yeah, I just I do. I just had a fist bump. Anyways, we'll talk yeah, about it later. Yeah, anyway, we'll talk about it tomorrow. But uh, we'll, but we'll that, give the venue, score at the end of the show. We said we would, so we'll give the score at the end of the show. Well, yeah, the the venue, uh, all venues look the same now, right? Like they all have that, and it was amazing when I was at the Panem Games here in Toronto. The venues look the same there too. They just look like the Olympics in a different color. So it's it's essentially like kind of generic. So whenever you can get a little bit of local there, a little bit of localness, and that's something that will uh, that I like. So so it's good that they have that unique design. And, and uh, here we are. No, I like the design too. I like the course, the shape of it, the fact that it's very like it's instinctual. You understand? And it was fun to see Laurie Bleuin Canadian qualified for the final. And uh, we'll watch that final later this evening, actually, day two for the women's side, which reminds me I probably should get my Olympic schedule queued up to talk about it later. Dwayne, let's move now to the silver medal, our second favorite moment of the day. Let's go with your silver medal for day one. All right. So I mentioned earlier that I would probably bring this, the event up again. We talked about the bronze medal winner. It's only fair. We always talk, also talk about the gold medal winner, uh, Irene Schuster or Schulter. Uh, pardon me. She's she's of course. Well, well, I'll let you guess, Kevin. Where do you think the winner of the three thousand meters sport uh, uh, speed skating event is from? What country do you figure that she's probably likely from? Okay, so let me take one guess and let me say, okay, speed skating winter. Ah, uh, she's probably from the Netherlands. Yeah, she she is from the Netherlands, the three thousand meter uh, champion, and it's a, a name you will probably. Uh, you will probably be uh, hearing once again uh, in the future because she is the favorite to possibly win as many as four gold medals in this event. And she needed to win the 3000 to sort of set her up for that. And, and she has. So uh, good for her. And, and that Dutch team is, is not maybe as strong as it was in the last Olympics where it was outrageously strong, but it is still absolutely the favorite to take the most medals and take medals in every event that it enters. And, and her skate was just dominating and from start to finish the you know she started it fast and finished it fast as opposed to every other skater in that yeah. event which kind of did one or the other well, and, and she you either start fast and then you slowly go downhill or you start too slow and then you slowly ramp up she was timed perfectly she knew exactly the amount of energy she needed to exert to get to the time she was aiming for yeah no precisely and and you know she's considered the uh, favorite in that for um for reason and so i highlight her as my silver medal winner of the day my silver medal for today it's a very big moment for one country in europe who for the second time in its history got a gold medal only the second time in their history a long story country in some winter sports i'm talking about slovenia and today in the women's ski jump event in the normal hill second olympic game we have women's ski jump it was about damn time in the ski jump. Ursa, she's a new champion. She's not the same as in Pyeongchang. Slovenian ski jumper Ursa Bogotar won the gold medal. This is only the second gold medal for Slovenia at a Winter Olympic Games after the gold medal in the giant slalom in 2014 in Sochi for legend of downhill skiing Tina Maze. She won the first goal and the only gold that Slovenia had in the Winter Games up until today. Today, Ursa Bogotar made her best impression of a Slovenian eagle and landed off at the bottom of that hill with a beautiful landing, telemark landing, 
and got herself a gold medal. Look, and, and I think the uh, it's important that the, you see the continual uh, evolution of, of the women's side of that sport. Uh, we talked about this in Sochi, our very first show. It was one of our topics of conversation throughout that, that the women's ski jump was not there, and there were women that were pushing hard, and there was a lot of features on the TV programs and things like that during that broadcast that, that talked about the need to get that sport in there. And and for this woman to, to be part of it now and to show that they can take that to the next level. And when you're watching it, I watched the women's ski jump and the men's qualifying kind of back to back tonight. It was second screen. So I'm not going to pretend that I was paying, you know, a massive attention to it in detail, but I was keeping an eye on it. And every time I'd look up, I would forget what gender I was looking at. That's the uh, beauty you know, um, of the sport. You don't, it, you're right. Cause the gender features, if I can talk about it like that, your bodily features that would, Determine if you're a man or a woman from far away because of the size of the suit, uh, you don't see it. So it makes for, you're right, it makes for a very gender neutral sporting watching experience. Yeah. And to me, and I'd have to look at this care more carefully, the distance they're traveling down there, it might be a little bit shorter than some of the men at the very top of the game. But I, I suspect that that has as much to do with like the systemic. Uh, disadvantages yeah. that they've had for generations more than the actual physicality of the sport. Uh, it's more of a technical sport. It's a highly technical sport. Very. In fact, they were on the broadcast today, they were comparing it to F1 in terms of what they do to get like another centimeter <laughs> out of the jump, right? It's aerodynamics, literally. It's it's not just aerodynamics, it's aero, uh, aeronautics. This literally the same science that you use for airplanes. So that's the type of, so it's the same as, as F1s too. So yeah, that's you're right there too. The lack of experience long term for the women in that sport because it's so it's still very recent. It's a second Olympic Games does explain, but I think it's gonna come quick and fast. And there's already just with the eye test, and I haven't done research on it, but with the eye test, you already see such a big improvement, and the field is open. It's not just one or two athletes that dominate. So it's great to see. I love ski jumping. It's one of my favorite competitions it's always early in the process and i'm looking forward to the men's normal hill final on for us which will be a saturday night or sunday morning which will be the end of day two so i'll be talking about more ski jump in the days ahead and you get uh, there's nordic combined as well in there too that uh, that you can watch and, and then there's and the a... large hill and you know i wish there was even a larger hill in the world there's a couple of them alive but so K90 is a regular hill, K120 is a big hill, but in the real world, there's like a K200. You know, I kind of wish. Might as well go go all out. Like, I want to be impressed. Show me someone flying for 20 seconds, come on. Yeah, you might be a little bit too young to remember this because you don't really remember Calgary, but they, they used to have uh, demonstration sports in the Olympics, and, and in Calgary they did. In fact, rodeo was one of them, if you can imagine. But at any rate, uh, at Calgary they had an event uh, called speed skiing um, and unfortunately to say the least unfortunately there was a tragedy during that event uh, where one of the athletes hit a cone on the way down and, and was killed unfortunately so that was uh, and the reason I'm bringing this up is, is I think probably the reason they don't go any higher than that has, has to do it's with, to do with this. well you know it's, it's, it's a good reason it's a yeah. very good reason and uh, but yeah I remember what the sport you're talking about which is an extreme sport, and I used to see it sometimes talked about in my worldwide of sports from Gillette early Saturday morning on you know, my televisions. 
and you saw the the weird Frenchman who used to just go down and go to about 200 kilometers an hour on skis. And then you would have the random guy do the same on like a bike. And I was like, why would you ride a bike down the snow hill? Anyways, but yeah, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So so I, the reason I brought that up is there's a specific after that tragedy happened, there was a direct sort of decision to make sure that you took away some of the danger aspects. And then obviously, you know, Canada again involved in this in 2010 with the tragedy in the, in the luge event. And by the way, his, uh, I think it's his cousin. His cousin, relative. his cousin is a, an athlete for Georgia this year. And the main, the family name is uh, Kumaritajvili. Yeah. So, so that's a nice little story there that he, and he's there. I was sliding in his honor. Uh, luge kicked Literally, off today. Yeah. So, uh, a younger cousin. Watch the... In 2010, the Georgian luger, the morning of the Olympic ceremony passed away when he hit a pole in Vancouver. His name was Noda Kumaritashvili, a young up-and-coming loser for Georgia that passed away in 2010. Literally the morning of the opening ceremonies, Dwayne and I was watching the training live on that yeah. day. And I remember multiple audio parts of that accident that will probably live with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Not necessarily the tragedy, but just even the those raw feeds that you got back there. They do, they kind of cut those out too. But like that. Well, maybe there's a reason because I heard that thud and I was like, "Holy crap!" And uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because there was no no ability to control. They just cut the feed basically is what they did at that time. But anyway, not to get too dark there. But they, you know, they learn. They try and and since that happened, they've made some decisions in terms of uh, trying to reduce the speeds of that event so that it's more technical and a little less daredevil. Yeah. yeah, the the ice is not as hard as it used to be. A little like a few degrees less and stuff like that. But let's uh, we can continue this talk on another day. Uh, this was all started by me saying they should have bigger jump, and uh, I hope they will have the large jump. I'm not sure if they have the large jump. Let me check. Is the is the large hill available for women now? Or is, I, no, it's not. It's yeah, I, just I don't man. believe they're there yet. Well, there, look, I mean, there That's is. Stupid. It's one of those like chicken and eggs arguments, right? Like the IOC back when they were denying, just as quickly to wrap this up, when they were denying the women access, the reason they were giving the last few years wasn't that, you know, the old school sort of condescending stuff. They weren't going, oh, you know, you might get hurt. Your ovaries will get crushed and stuff like that, which is legitimately weird stuff they used to say back in the day. But it was like, well, the, the depth of field isn't big enough, so we can't justify giving an Olympic gold medal when there's only five people in the world that are competing at a high level. Well, there's only five people in the world competing at a high level because you're not, you're you're not, not letting the them do it. The exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so it's one of those things. And there's no doubt that when you see new events come in, we used to, you know, to bring this back to another previous topic on this show, Canada was always pretty bad at the Olympics, except for the new sport. They always would do well in the new sport. It was a joke. And the reason they do well in the new sport is because the way we used to fund our athletes in these countries, it was equal, depend no matter what. And they didn't put the Olympic medals into the factor at all. So, a new sport would jump in. No country in the world was funding it other than Canada, so the piddly little money they'd give them was enough to make them the best. But then as soon as the Olympic funding came in, that would go away. That's changed now, but yeah. but it all, all comes down to that chicken and egg sort of situation. It's true. It's true. Let's bring it back to the actual athlete here. Congratulations, Ursa Bogotar, for your gold medal, but more importantly, for your silver medal of my day one medals of the Five Rank Podcast. Yeah, that's the important one there for sure. Exactly, exactly. Never mind the millions of dollars you'll get from that silver medal. You'll get the recognition and respect from our silver medal. 
exactly our podcast metal um maybe we'll give them out one day we've, we've had a couple athletes on here if you're new to us we, we've had olympic medalists on this show so world so champions we... olympic medalists gold medalists legends first ever guests of this show was the actual chef d'emission of beijing 2022 for canada katrina lemaydone you can hear that in the archives going back in the day if you wish all right, so shall we get into our gold medals? Then? Let's go. Gold medal for Dwayne for day one. All right, it's in general the four by six uh, kilometer uh, biathlon relay from this morning, but specifically in that the the Norwegian team. Of course, it was Norway. They were born with skis on their feet. I think that uh, country can can cross country ski and biathlon. With, <laughs> Thanks for not choosing know. the gun. <laughs> Thanks for not choosing the gun part that they were born with. Yeah, uh, I'll give the names out here too. And uh, any Norwegians listening, I'm going to do my very best. But uh, forgive me if I don't quite get it right. I'll, I'll, you know, keep in mind this is a Ottawa Valley Eastern or English person saying these these Norwegian names. But uh, Marty uh, Rosland, uh, Trilly Arakov, uh, Tarjin Bo, and uh, Johannes Bo, the Bo brothers. They're brothers. Uh, that's the four four people. Now, more to the point, the reason I wanted to highlight this out as the gold medal. Uh, was a I wanted to talk about Norway in general and how much of a power they have become in in the cross country skiing or related events. So you can add biathlon and cross country skiing, kind of put them into one, um, you know, XCB sort of category, as I've been in abbreviating them in my own notes. Uh, so they they're just wonderful at that, and and it was an interesting and unique uh, experience out on the course today. It's a very open area. And that was causing all kinds of havoc with the shooting. And in biathlon, it's so important to, to shoot. Uh, this was an event. It was a relay event. So if they missed uh, a target, they had to do a 150-meter lap around a, a penalty track to uh, make up for the fact that you didn't hit the five targets. And in addition, it takes more time because you, you had to try and do your reloads because you get some extra, you can do two extra bullets per round and all that sort of stuff. So the point being, the first half of this relay the Norwegian women, it was very windy and they were very much struggling compared to some of the other teams around them. And they ended up having to do three or four of these penalty laps. They had missed four. I think the one athlete missed something like seven shots. So it was a very difficult situation for them. And they found themselves 50 seconds back when the Bow Brothers took over. Well, <laughs> I'm talking about them. <laughs> so oh, the, bo- the Bow Bros, the Bow Bros were able to close the gap. Yeah, they pulled back 50 seconds and what was an incredibly exciting finish. They, you know, in the last shooting range, they came in about 20 seconds behind into the very last shooting, which is about a kilometer or a kilometer and a half, two kilometers from the end of the race. And in that shooting, they ended up coming back out of it about 10 seconds behind. In the last kilometer, they caught up. There was a three-man sprint to the end because it was all men. And the bow brother, uh, Jonas, uh, ended up winning that quite comfortably in the end. He pulled ahead to win the gold medal. And it was uh, quite the scene as the Norwegians, who had thought they were probably not even on the podium. When they left the, the second, they were in seventh, I believe, when they left the second uh, part of the relay. And they were the favorites going in. So it was very disappointing. They ended up winning the gold. And it was quite a moment. And it was quite a moment for a program that is going to have a lot more of in these games. But uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Bow Brothers again, and perhaps <laughs> even the women that I just mentioned there. They're, yeah, they're also up there. Uh, but you know yeah. what the, what's interesting with this? It's the second Olympics that we have mixed competitions like this, right? In cross country, well, in biathlon. You remember four years ago when uh, was it Finland? I think it was Finland that decided to change the order and go women and men offset. 
because they thought they was going to get an advantage, and then, yeah, that did not work out for them. It's funny how no one tried that this year. Yeah, there are certain events where uh, the, we talked about this with the ski jump. The physicality allows them to compete on a very similar level. There are events where biology does not allow that. I think we have to realize that. So, uh, yeah, you, you got to be... Uh, you got to do this. Uh, you got to do it the right way. And, and in the today's relay, uh, the women let off all of the teams and the men closed all of the teams. That's just how it, it ended up working out. Let's now have a look on our second gold medal, my first gold medal for this game's here. And my gold medal is a shared one. It's to two people. Same competition, different country, the top step and the second step of the podium. I want to give a shout out to Canadian Michael Kingsbury, who finished second, a silver medal that must have a little bit of a sour taste to him. Being him the favorite, more than odds on favorite, he was like given 80% of the chances of winning before this was even starting and he was training on very similar course at home for years and years. And he was so confident that he did not even do his most difficult jump in his second jump. He was fast, but not fast enough. And Sweden Walter Wahlberg won the gold medal. Walter Wahlberg finished second in the world championship last year in Tremblant behind Michael Kingsbury. He has finished second most of the time behind Michael Kingsbury in a lot of competitions over the last few years, but he was always up and coming. The one thing that does make a big difference in a sport like this, where it's judged and you do find some judgment that could be different for the turns, the length, the size of an athlete comparing his knees to the movement of his knees is very big in this sport and that's one of the big difference between those two riders walter Wahlberg is a bit taller than michael kingsbury and it does give an aura of less movement which technically is what gave Wahlberg the win here it's very close it was controversial and it took a lot of time for the judges to show their score and to explain their scores to the actual athletes but at the end of the day the Swede got the gold medal, the Canadian got the second, but the competition itself got my heart and my gold medal. Uh, well, as we said yesterday, it is Canada's most successful event, uh, you know, across the board, men's and women's, uh, over the history of, of the event in the Olympics, which I believe its first time in the Olympics was 92 or 88, I forget which. It, but was, it was 1992 with Jean-Luc Brassard. Yes, because it was a demonstration sport in 88. There there we go. That's full circle on the con- on the conversation because we talked about Calgary demonstration sports already once. So so there you have it. Look, it's, it is it is the forefather of the X-game sport in the Olympics, the moguls. It, it's not an X-game sport because it predates the X Games, but it kind of has the same spirit, right? Yeah, it's a spiritual, and, uh, the spiritual father of the X Games, I guess, because, well, the idea of pushing it to the extreme existed before there was a branding to those games. Well, yeah, it, you know, you think about it, where every sport sort of has a natural place in the world of how it became. And what moguls really is, is people going up, taking the ski lift up and then going, you know what? I don't want to go down that nice little groom trail. I'm going to go down this back trail and I'm going to see how fast I can go down it, even though there's obstacles and bumps and things that I'm going to have to get around in a very unique and skillful way. That's kind of where the, this comes from when you think about it. And, and it's, it's, that's extreme, right? You're not supposed to do that, 
extreme sports are all about pushing boundaries and, and the moguls were the original the og so to speak to be real hip about it although it's og is not really even hip anymore that's more no. of a millennial thing yeah like, yeah even even it's probably more a gen x thing but uh when we look at the og there's also aerials which is very important actually predates uh and the olympic is very similar but in the amount of Canadian athletes performing well at a sport the la roche family which there's a lot of bad things lately in that family so don't necessarily google that entire family but in the early 80s the la roche family was pioneers of aerials so there's a long storied history of canadians doing well in aerials and freestyle but this time around kingsbury fell just a little short but silver still pretty damn good well yeah he's the most uh He's the only uh, athlete in the history of the sport to win medals in three consecutive Olympics. And, and part of that's because, think about that sport. How do you last for three consecutive Olympiads with your knees, <laughs> with right? Your knees. He's, he's had a major injury, too. So I, well, he did a couple of years ago, and that was the first one of his career. You're right, and this was his third Olympics. He was in 2014. He finished on the podium, I believe, off the top of my head, but not on the top step, because that was Alex Bilodeau, other Canadian that... I guess was the mentor for Michael Kingsbury. He got a good result in 2018 and this year it's the silver, but you know, it happens. Sometimes you just, even if you're the favorite, the odds on favorite and the big favorite, sometimes you just get somebody else who's the second best in the world who pulls off their best run of the year. That also happens. Yeah. It's a subjective sport. As you say, uh, I subjectively don't agree with the decision today, to be blunt, but that's not, neither here nor there because I'm not judging. And the judges think what they think, and that's what they think. Um, even the, the commentators were a little surprised by some of the, the scoring, not just on that, but it's yeah, that's yeah, another yeah. thing, just as a quick aside. And this is where um, – this is kind of a wood medal, a mini wood medal, so to speak, and it's no one's fault other than the, the damn pandemic. The fact that they don't have – commentators at the hill really hurts the way that we perceive it on the tv because they're doing it off the tv as well and you just can't see things as well as the judges do so it's entirely possible that my perception and the 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 experts perceptions here in canada or wherever you're watching this are are not the same or not accurate or not fair because they're seeing it through a screen and that doesn't allow you to to understand in the same way as being there and that that's a real loss that we're having but that's no one's fault especially when it comes to speed that's where like a speed in a hill those things don't translate well on television like some some things do some things don't so when you come to short drag speed skating and the skill or downhill skiing and those type of things where speed is very important you can't really trust your eyes because it's from a camera and from a television, a TV screen, even for them. So you're right. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the evolution of that throughout the games. And maybe uh, there will be a generalized, not idea, but there'll be moments where we pinpoint commentators not agreeing with judges. But maybe that's not driven by the bad judgment, but maybe more by the lack of in-person commentating which by the way for the cbc from women's hockey the french duo is there for the radio canada for the women's hockey and it's one of the few canadian on-site broadcasters there right now 
Yeah, they've sent skeletons mostly over. It's a little bit more than Tokyo, but it's it's you know you understand why. There's there's it's not just pandemic for the reason they've decided to be reluctant about sending large and there's large uh, cost cutting. Yeah. And there's also like dealing with the there's uh, also fear dealing with China. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of China. I mean, that's just to say. The, the, the true um, fear is catching COVID and being stuck three weeks in your room because that's know, that's what well, you gotta have to do. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of reasons why they've cut the cost, but it, it is a loss in terms of the broadcaster. And, and I've noticed this, and you know, because the winter, the nature of the Winter Games is a lot of the sports are are subjective. Um, you know, and the figure skating obviously is the most subjective at all in a lot of ways. And, and there was some confusion on the broadcast uh, last night of the teams event. Um, you'll see it tonight. The teams event come back tonight uh, to finish that off. So look, it, it's it is what it is. And sometimes we're not going to agree with the, a subjective decision. But what I will say about the the moguls today to wrap this back up is that, you know, all three of the medalists, the Japanese skier was third, uh, were pretty spectacular to watch. And that's what it's all about. And the slope style was spectacular to do to, today to, to kick it off. You get the, the men going down the slope style on, I think, I believe, Sunday is when the slope style final is for the men. And that's Marco Morris will be the Canadian in that. And he will be very much uh, the one of the favorites in it. So lots to watch and lots to talk about. And we'll have lots of judging conversations in the weeks to <laughs> head, I'm sure. Hey, it's a, it's a tradition, right? It's one of the things we talk about often on the Five Minutes Podcast. Exactly. And, uh, judging it. It's not going away. I mean, no. in the summer games, too. Look, and the, the another quick last thought on that. I think there's a reason that in the a lot of these sports where there's any, if there's any ability to change it to a race, to a parallel kind of situation, they'll do it. You're just going to see a lot more mass starts, and you've been seeing it over the last two or three Olympics. That's going to continue to go on and on and on. And they do have parallel uh, mogul competitions out there, and it wouldn't shock me if that's more where they move to in the future because it does become very difficult to swallow when it's your biggest event and you're going like, well, I think my turn was better than your turn. Like, it becomes yeah. hard, right? But, but the, the only thing for moguls is it's hard to do so because – if speed is not the only be all end all. Yeah, annoying. And when you do a race, even we checked it, the speed is not even the most important component. So if you break it down to a race, you'll actually highlight the worst, the, the worst part, which is we're going to see that because slalom, snowboard slalom. I remember JCJ Anderson in 2004, was it 2002, Salt Lake City? He was talking about, and that was the last Olympics before. The side by side snowboard that started in Torino in 2006. Don't ask me why I know this, I, I just know. And in 2002, uh, JC Anderson was talking about how it's a shame that's the last Olympics that it's like this because he was really good at slalom and he was getting his his edge, his, his better part of his competition by turning and finding ways downhill quicker. But when it's about a race, conditions of snow and a lot of things are breaking down to between one another so i hope moguls doesn't go that way but we're just uh we're, we're talking too much here yeah i'm glad we mentioned jcj anderson today because that means that we have Olympic. now mentioned him in all three of our winter olympic uh podcasts because well he was in nagano <laughs> is, is he there this year like I'm, i wouldn't be surprised no, he's, if he's, he's not there. there this year i had to Jesus. check though because because oh, yeah. if you don't know he's you quite remarkable i believe he was in six olympics he was, his first was in 98 and then he took one off and he came back to 2018 and he almost medaled in 2018 <laughs> and with his own board that's the thing his own like he designed yeah, his own snowboard came back. He, was having uh, yeah. he could test your own thing at a freaking high level all right. Before we say goodbye for today, let's take a look, a quick look at what's ahead for day two that we will be talking about on tomorrow's show. 
They too will have medals in alpine skiing, which will be the men's downhill. We will have medals given in cross-country skiing, the men's 15 kilometers, and the 15 kilometers skiathlon, which is a mass start. It's like a marathon, but on skis. I love it, and I miss Alex Harvey already. Going, I, I really do. Women's moguls will take place also on day two. With luge, we'll have the men's single luge final, which the qualifying rounds took place on day one. We'll also have ski jumping, the men's final in the normal hill, individual snowboard, women's snowboard slope style will be the final tonight. Laurie Blouin, Canadian, part of the final. She's the only Canadian that qualified for that final. And we have also the men's 5,000 meters speed skating that will be taking place on the big oval. Yep, should be a lot of fun and... uh... Get a few hours, a uh, few hours sleep before then, and uh, we're back at it again. It's the weekends are always the best, right? So uh, we're happy to do it, and we'll we'll watch our socials for the time when this goes out. We'll let you know, but uh, away we go. Got 16 more days of this. And as always, you can follow Dwayne on social media at 24th Minute on Twitter, myself at Kev Laramie, and this show at Five Rings Podcast. Until next time, for Dwayne Rollins, I'm Kev Laramie. Enjoy your Olympic Games, and have a great Beijing. <laughs>